don't burp into the mic. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stop doing Wasn't that. planning on it. <laughs> I was. <laughs> I was doing so. Hello, and welcome to the Tiny Plastic People podcast, the podcast about tiny plastic people. And, uh, well, for me, a lot of metal people these days, so I don't know, we might have to start rebranding. <laughs> anyway, joining me tonight is Rich. Hello, Rich. Hello. And Alistair. Hello, Alistair. Hello. I feel like it's been quite a while since I spoke to some of you, certainly in Podland. Um, that might not be true. I might have had a pod with you last week and I'm just really bad at remembering things. Christmas but... for me. Was it Christmas? You? I okay. think it was the big Christmas bonanza. Ah, oh, Christmas. Yeah, we're bringing on more podders, which has been nice to hear from different people, but it means that we don't talk to each other nearly as often. Yes, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Turns out, actually, mostly what I want to hear on a podcast is my opinions. So <laughs> down down with all these new podders, I say. I mean, you have your own podcast where you can, I mean, technically not just have your opinions. You have to have uh, Chimp and Laura's opinions too, but, you know, you've got twice as many opinions as the rest of us. It's not a perfect system. <laughs> it's not a perfect system. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the foil on that podcast. The, the uncompetitive foil. So. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, uh, if we want to move on, if, if we haven't spoken ages, I'm sure I can hear about all your exploits. I mean, even from you've last been on the pod anyway. So, uh, Alistair, have you been doing any hobby recently? Painting, games, etc.? Uh, well, yeah, I have been doing exactly one hobby painting thing, which is that I've been working on the same Titan for two and a half months. Um, this is partially because it is very big, because it is a Titan, and oh, partially yeah. because I've been distracted by other things. Um, Destiny's had an update, which has not been good for my hobby time. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> partially because I've been trying really hard at it, because I've been turning it for a competition. I'll probably talk about the competition a bit later, but um, yeah, as of and I've, as of about half an hour ago, I finished it. Now neither of you have seen it yet, but I've put it in our shared Discord, oh, so you can go and have a look at it now. It's time for a live react. Okay, scrolling up, scrolling up. Hell yeah! Look at that big bastard. <laughs> oh, it's so cool. Oh, I'm in the wrong channel. <laughs> Drew's just like looking at pictures of people's cats going, what? Oh, I have, I have many thoughts on this. This is uh, really cool. It is. Looking at looking at pictures might not be the ideal podcast medium, I realise now. But yeah. it, yes. we'll, we'll post one of these pictures in our show notes. I think we should definitely make sure that we do that. It's, it's a very wanna... big, very red <laughs> and orange uh, nemesis warbling a titan. This is a nemesis, yeah, is yeah. it? Uh, it's the Warbringer, I- Warmaster Iconoclast. Warmaster Iconoclast. the biggest Titan with a sword, yeah. because as it turns out, it's actually a very bad uh, model in-game, because as it turns out, having to have uh, the best sword on the slowest Titan in the game is not so useful. Yeah. But, you know, it's the coolest one, because it's very big and has a sword, so that's fine. Can you guess which, which version of, the, uh, of the ti- that Titan I have as well? Is it this one? It is this one because it is the, the <laughs> stupid bad one. So, I've, I've excellent choice. In the third photo, 
Uh, is all the stuff on the little tilting shields on like the armpit and then a little bit further forward? Is that all freehand? Uh, no, it's not. It's a mixture of um, transfers and freehand. There is some freehand in there. Okay, yeah. It, it looks really good. Yeah, there is super good. Super, super yeah. great. I recognize. Is that a word bearer's transfer on the little one? Uh, it is, head? but because it's very close to the um, Legio Magna. Which is also like a flaming right. skull. So. Yeah, close enough. That's what you need cool. as a traitor. Yeah, I like it. It's just flaming skulls for days. And... <laughs> so Magna's very interesting in that like, they're one of the uh, legions that clearly doesn't have consistent lore because they were definitely traitor in 30k, but they've been described as loyalist in one of the 40k novels, like as an off-the-cuff sentence. So it's complicated, I guess. They mm. they look quite traitory. I'm going to be honest with you. They don't look yeah. like they're doing good things. You're not. Their whole thing color. is burning down cities. So yeah, <laughs> I mean, one of the many traitor legions whose whole thing is burning down cities. To be honest, but still, well, this is when true. all you have is a hammer, etc. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to say that the emperor does not employ this tactic either. So true. Yeah, I think there's lots there's lots to be proud of on this. The super like the jaggy tiger stripes are really good the modulation across the panels it's like super rich throughout like the way it goes to super bright yellow i really like and then some very nice subtle weathering around the legs as well so yeah smashed it cool thanks well, look yeah, forward so... to seeing photos of it walk very slowly across the table and never yeah get i'm hoping to get it on the table for that um but so in all that time, uh, so like two and a half months since the Christmas pod, basically, I've done no hobby but this. Um, but <laughs> I did manage to push myself to go to a local Infinity tournament because um, some of the local people have been like working really hard and making uh, just the community get back up again after COVID. Um, and so, yeah, I went to this little just sort of like casual uh, tournament. Uh, we only played two games of three because everyone was very slow. Um, but it was fun. Um, yeah. In my first game, I got diced completely. There really wasn't anything for it. Like every possible like advantage I have was squandered by my dice or my opponent's dice just flattening me. <laughs> but on the upside, the second game was very close and sort of like evenly fought. So that was fun. Also, I can't believe the whole event only went two games of three. That's, that's an incredible I mean, happenstance. I understand it. It was only a one-day thing. That's amazing. Yeah. Did you have a good time? Other than being I did have a good time. iced yeah. to death. Well, it, 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 I'm not going to lie. It was a bit frustrating. Um, sort of, uh, Infinity has like effectively armor saves, and mm. every time I even got like a wound through, I was like, here comes the armor save, and it did. <laughs> so... Oh, well, at some point, eventually just managed to start laughing about it. So that was all right. If it goes yeah. far yeah. enough, yeah, it's like you just have to be like, oh, well, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> Excellent. Rich, have you done any painting play? I know you have because you post a million pictures of everything you do. And, well, not a million pictures of this one thing. You just do lots of things. Yeah, that's the trick. Just paint, post the same picture over and over again. Just looking at my notes, uh, I have painted an absolute fuckload of Middle Earth, as I put it. Um, so since the start of the year, I've painted a 750-point 
ish Isengard army for the Lord of the Rings Middle Earth strategy battle game, to give it its full name. Yeah, painted lots of that, been having fun with that. I took that to an event as well, which was fun. Nice sort of culmination of painting the army. It's fun. Um, I've been playing lots of Middle Earth strategy battle game, just sort of casually as well. I've probably played close to 20 games of it this year already. So, um, yeah, it's really good. It hooks into me. It's a great system. I love it. That's a lot of gaming. Yeah. There's there's an argument for um, <laughs> my my feature later in the show might just be me gushing about Middle Earth. I think, but <laughs> we'll see. Um, other than that, other stuff going on. Um, I painted some um, 88 millimeter flat guns and one Semvente self-propelled gun for some mid-war Italians for Flames of War. Um, hoping to paint a full 100-point army of them by the time I have a meet-up at the end of this month so that I can play a game with Matthew, who has been putting lots of work into his corresponding British Desert Force. So, doing some of those. And I have fallen hard for the new Astra Militarum slash Imperial Guard range as well. So I've just started painting up a few of those. Yeah. Anything else? Oh, I played some boarding actions with odd friend james as well that was fun that's a nice little system i've seen it it looks looks exciting yeah it's nicely simplified in a few ways i would think like it pulls stratagems and war gear and stuff out of the game and just gives you quite a specific mission and some specific things like add-ons you can do so yeah i enjoyed the game you had um i'd like to play more of it I, I do have the terrain to do it, although it needs to be finished building and then painted. And also I chopped one bit of it in half, which I think may invalidate a whole half of the terrain set. So oh. I might talk about that a bit more later. <laughs> so, <laughs> How about you, Drew? Have you done much hobby recently? Uh, yes and no. I, I've been absolutely hammered by work and by... Um just jobs around the house a lot of concrete being laid so um i've not had as much hobby time as i'd like i do have a heresy event next saturday it was supposed to be today but the hall was double booked that it's in so i got an extra day a week's worth of grace so Mm -hmm. i'm trying to finish off my helvis heresy traitor force is that word bearers and sons of horus yes yes and it's also got like a 3k game um, God, so at, at the end, really of have to have an army done. Then. Yeah, exactly. And so that's taking up a lot of my hobby time. Um, I did paint a load of Saga stuff. I think you probably have a similar mindset, Rich, that painting metal midnies is just really nice. Love them. Love yeah, them, the little bastards. There's something about metal minis that's just so much more fun to paint. I think than plastic. And they're not better minis. I mean, there's some really weird ugly looking vikings but... <laughs> yes there are some hanging sculpts out there <laughs> yeah but just painting them yeah i don't know I think quite about pleasant it. yeah yeah quite pleasant delivering your interpretation of a person's hand sculpted weirdo replete with like sort of sculpting tool marks still in the metal casting and stuff whereas you know lovely nice smooth injection molded plastic elves you know millions of them yeah 
each metal model feels like an individual. Although, let me tell you, having painted a few things for Lord of the Rings where there's like three different types of warrior, and of each type of warrior, there are two sculpts in metal. <laughs> <laughs> you do start to lose some love for them once you're painting repeats. <laughs> yes, yeah, I could see that. Um, so yes, yeah, that's... that's... That's been my break from uh, what's it called from heresy. But I've also painted some like cows and foxes and things just to use as table decoration, which kind of implies that I probably should have been yeah. focusing on my heresy a bit more because painting some cows is definitely not, you know, priority on the uh, in the, the painting Gantt chart. It's like meditation, just painting some cows, right? Yeah, yeah, it's for hobby mental health. Yeah. Never mind being sad about space marines. That's it. Be happy about cows. Yeah, I mean, I, I do, I do like it. I, I want more. I started to kind of get this sort of idea. You know, you start seeing other historical games that people are playing. And you're like, oh, you can just put shit on the table, and you know, it doesn't mean anything. It just can be there. Maybe there's a boar. <laughs> you know, you just move it out of the way if your troops come that way, and it's uh, maybe there's a boar. <laughs> you know, it's just exciting. Yeah quite like it um so yeah it, it's uh so that's been that and yeah then sort of coming off the back of that I've, I've played a load of um saga as well i met up with some did i meet up with any pod friends i met up with james who's very much more than a pod friend i suppose james other pod host many friend friends of pod certainly. many friends of pod yes i think james is the person who's on the pod oh rachel i met up with rachel as well but i didn't play against her but i did play quite a few people uh saga so uh yeah i'm enjoying saga at the moment masses of dark ages saga which i think is kind of where i want to be in a historical space that it's kind of very sort of vaguely historical but not actually at all historical yeah it's i mean i would say no one's complaining about the color of the braiding around your vikings tunic but there are people like that out there but um saga obviously is not like it's historical themed it's not trying to tell a, a specific history yeah um but also like the dark ages is long enough ago and vaguely historicized enough that it, it's not like playing napoleonics no and having someone tell you that your rifleman sash is the wrong color my my force in saga can attack people with the weather so i don't feel like that as a historical thing that vikings did how will we know though how will, how we, will we know because if they yeah it's like if i if a viking threw hailstones at you from the sky those hailstones would melt and leave no archaeological evidence answer that one scientists mm. is this like an icicle as the perfect murder weapon hailstones yeah. are the perfect siege weapon yeah because they melt and there's no evidence <laughs> it's the perfect way to kill berserkers i found um <laughs> Because the berserkers are really scary, so if you can just throw hailstones at them from across the map, um, it's excellent. Nice. Can't argue with it at all, to be honest. No, it's it's also probably a bit beardy and unfun because uh, berserkers no don't, don't like being shot with ranged weapons that can hit you anywhere. So indirect fire hailstones are not acceptable in the Viking Age. And then last night, I um, I played some conquest conquest last argument of kings that's the one that's the one i was gonna say men master argument men last time was a kings yeah and that was at a local club that i've not been to before which was the west allotments wilding and it was wilding wildings and it was daryl there who um 
I think he is a sort of official demonstrator uh, for Conquest. Ah, uh-huh, cool. Um, so I just had to turn up with some dice and a ruler, which I'm starting to feel like is the ideal way to play war games. <laughs> and yeah, it's interesting. I, I I wanted to come in with some sort of hot Conquest takes, um, and. I don't think I have any yet. It, it's it's an interesting game. There's a lot of interesting mechanics to it. It's very simple, which I like. Probably the most interesting thing is the way it does unit activations. And this is very much a, a me thing to be interested about, is that you you don't deploy any units at the start of the game. Well, I don't know. The mission we played, you didn't deploy anything at the start of the game. So when you activate a unit, you just bring it onto the table on your board edge. Um, I've heard this. From other people who like the game so yeah i don't think it is just a scenario thing so that gives you a lot of control about what you're doing and also you don't have to fuck up deployment um which is one of the standard <laughs> things i do in war games so it saves me a lot of pressure um but then as you bring units in you start to build a deck of cards for each unit and at the start of your turn you order that deck to be the order you activate the units in so at the start, when you've only got one or two units on the board, it's easy. But then later on, you kind of have to look at what you need to do in the order you want to do it in. And then it's I go, you go. So whoever has the initiative draws ah. a card, activates a unit, then your opponent does it. And yeah, it leads to some interesting decisions. And we, we've only played a very small game of like sort of three, four units, I think. Four units and maybe a hero. And yeah, there it's like, well, if you're banking on the initiative and you want to charge something that's, if you don't charge it, it's going to charge you, you're like, well, maybe I'll just give it up as lost and don't put my card top. Maybe I'll actually go and do something on the other side of the board uh, instead because then you're sort of protecting yourself from the initiative loss, but then you're also putting yourself Mm. at risk. And I I suspect there's, well, I know for a fact that the uh, faction I was playing was just sort of the generic humans who were just sort of generic medieval humans city states no they're the less generic more free you know it's they're like uh, I can't oh the older old. ones not the the nords is it the nords? no they're weird too these are like just oh, they're right, okay. very much just medieval people nah, I'm, I'm lost no the, the nords are weird and have giants and stuff and the uh, city states are like freaky and have minotaurs and stuff no they, these they're, are they're greek and spartan themed basically city states aren't they yes yeah, yeah. well it's difficult because you've also got the undead who are also greek themed it's just a different time period of greece so brilliant <laughs> yeah but anyway the the, the 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 sort of the the lord who was uh, just a big man on a horse to smash into things also had the ability to activate a unit within 12 inches if its card hadn't come out yet ah nice. so you do have some options to meddle hmm. with the activation order and things but there were like pros and cons to why you might do that and stuff oh that was it men at arms had like a you get units have like a thing called draw events so when you draw their card out that event happens and just for men at arms they kind of just go into a defensive stance automatically so you're kind of like well if there's loads of archers around i might actually want my men at arms to get their cards out quite early even if they're not going to do anything because it boosts their yeah. save hmm. that's cool yeah. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. I'm not sure whether I want to dive into it because it's an army game and I'm not sure I want to <laughs> get into an army game at the moment. The sculpts, the, the designs of the sculpts are very interesting, but the rendition of them, I mean, this is part of the other thing whenever you go to other models, is that GW just do such good 
models you kind of always feel like oh this is not as good as gw's it's like the, some of the faction designs are really weird and freaky um and they look really cool but the models i was looking at didn't look as well executed in the sculpting and in the molding than perhaps yeah the of gw equivalent yeah. would be and it's just silly things that probably you know other people might not care about because they're, they're chunky kind of heroic looking models anyway but like the shields were really thick on the men at arms and stuff and it just made them look quite bulky and it's like well i just 3d print some more shields and stuff and then you're like that's a way to make your you know hobby workload look yeah. much higher yeah they're really pushing for like this game to become a thing right because they have six or seven factions now of which all of them have at least like a big core of models in injection molded plastic sprues yes yeah so it's that, really impressive it that must be a loss leader at the moment i've under the impression they have some pretty powerful like seed funding i mean this is this is second edition though so it, it has had a first edition already and i don't know if that was a plastic the same plastic models though there's a lot of characters at least are um in resin right still and then like the, as stuff comes out they seem to like reissue them in plastic kind of mm-hmm. thing in this edition yeah it seems it seems really interesting it seems like potentially a genuine not sorry like a genuine contender to aos although i don't think it's you know just as i think it's trying to be something quite it's i mean it's got rank and flank and that excites me because i do like facing yeah stuff. I do think it's a credible thought now. Like, Kings of War is a good game by all accounts, but I now think, like, Conquest is quite an interesting, different option for if yeah. you wanted to play a rank and flank, and it's got the range and the models and stuff to be credible. The factions look very distinct as well, which is nice. You know, there is yeah. some... I think all the factions look interesting. I, I'm, I'm tempted by the undead. If I went with anything at the moment, it would be the undead, who are kind of, like uh byzantine which has well this isn't greece yeah. i said they were greek but you know but it's geographically greece um they're kind of like undead yeah. byzantine romany type An- ancients yeah. yeah yeah i do like the minotaur sculpts but also oh, do like minotaurs sorry but the minotaur sculpts aren't quite as exciting as i'd like them to be for the city states but what they have it's parabellum games who do it they, yeah, they've parabellum. released some concept art ages ago for a thing called the weaver courts who are like freaky insect elves and they're not out and there's no news about them and i think if they were out or coming out very soon i would be a lot more sold i know rachel is desperately waiting for weaver courts before she dives into the game the cool thing they do and is what ended up i think with city states being coming out is that they like poll their community on uh, as to like what faction do you want next kind of thing so, like, there is information about Weaver Courts. There's sort of information about, I don't know, like, four or five future factions. That only works if the people are right, though. Well, yeah, obviously the people don't vote for the one you want. <laughs> Tough shit. <laughs> yeah, I want my elves. I want my weird elves. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting. I mean, yeah, I, I'm interested to see. I mean, like, I'll have to see, because I, I haven't got the time and I haven't got loads of cash floating in the hobby sphere at the moment so i'll I'll have to see what goes with it i I could certainly see myself playing i'd like to play a bigger game to see what the moving parts are like yeah yeah it would be interesting so yeah there was that and that was um 
Yeah. Like I say, I wanted hot takes, but all I've got at the moment is lots of thoughts and, and questions and stuff. And <laughs> I'm wondering where weird elves are. Where are my weird elves? Not GW. I have to learn to be, you know, salty to other people now. It's shocking. Every game could benefit from more weird elves. I think you say every game could benefit from more salt. And I was like, well, I no, st- strongly no. disagree. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't worry. I'll be right there with you. Yes. And then the other thing I did, which was start of February was uh, a big war game show which i've never been to a war game show before uh other than like warhammer fest which is less of a war game show and more it's not just quite a... the same no it's not one man in a polo shirt trying to sell you his special kind of plastic tree yes at warhammer fest is <laughs> so this was if i call it york war game show i won't embarrass myself but it does have a proper name which i'm now going to try vapnartak vapnartak yes Sorry, I, I didn't mean to steal your thunder there on, on the attempt. I hope I didn't influence you. No, I think I just call it like Vantapack or something, which I, sounds like a medical goods provider. <laughs> like, so. Yeah, it's like a, they make cool bags, I think. <laughs> right. Oh, well. Um, and, and when I put myself down to talk about this pod, I had lots of thoughts about uh, the York War Game Show um, and I've forgotten them all now. So. Uh, but no, it was interesting. It's funny because the queue was bloody massive and it just looked like the laziest uh, kind of crowd clone stamp, basically, of grey old men. Beard, belly, beard, belly. Yeah, sometimes they had a beard, sometimes they didn't, and that was it. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, there were occasionally some, you know, tenuous diversity. I mean, diversity being like, that guy's young, that guy's got long hair. I mean, literally. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's got long hair <laughs> so uh yeah it was good it was good it was interesting um it's a one day show um it's at york race course and it's not the biggest thing in the world although like i say there was you know, a good turnout it's like three or four floors three or four small floors i should say and you know plenty of traders a lot of metal models and a lot of resin models i think oh, yeah. like warlord games were the biggest presence there and then everything else is sort of, you know, yeah, like you say, people trying to sell you their, dis- their single bespoke type of plastic tree and things, or like really, really <laughs> specific models of uh, weird tanks. I almost bought some weird French tanks, even though I have like no use for them because I like weird, old, bad French tanks. Everyone's got use for weird, old, bad French tanks. Come on now. Yeah. I mean, some of them were kind of comparatively good. What they didn't have, which I would have bought, is if they had a Covenanter tank. Ah, oh, the ultimate bad tank. The ultimate bad tank, yeah. But no, they had none. So I mean, that, that's I felt, um, yeah, not very, uh, not very well represented there. But of games that I played, I played the new Two Fat Lardies What a Cowboy game as a demo. I don't think that's out yet. Ah, cool. Um, and it's quite good. It's very much a kind of love child of all the Two Fat Lardies mechanics put together. But yeah, it does make it a good game. I think. We played with, you know, three aside, and each of us had two models each, and it played pretty quickly. Um, and yeah, I was kind of, I definitely could see myself getting it because it's only a book, and if you only need, you know, six models, twelve models, if you want to do both sides, that's that's very doable. My, my biggest issue with it is that I have no source or use of like a twenty-eight mil Wild West town scene or whatever. Just do cacti and rocks. And I could do have it like a showdown in like a trading post or something so we have like one building and some fences yeah and a load of cacti and rocks and a sand colored mat and then you're done 
Yes, I mean, oh yeah, I've got lots of trees. I suppose I could do it a bit further north. But yeah, it was it was interesting. Um, I liked it. It it's kind of doesn't really look at the historical aspects of the Wild West at all, which is probably good, maybe bad. It's very much a you know a Western film in board game yeah. a board game in war game form, and yeah, I think it's good. So there's a hot take as well. I'd be keen to get it and uh, just give it a go. I think it's a good nice. thing you could take to an event and just you know play, get a couple of mates because you you know there's no limit to the number of people per side, I suppose, or you know there's quite a few people could play at once. So if people were definitely free, uh, and then the other thing I played was Wings of Glory, which I was quite sold on, um, and then I discovered that it's like massively out of print and you can't get any of the rules for it. So uh, who did Wings of Glory? The, it, I always get it confused with Blood Red Skies, which was Warlords one. Yeah, Wings of Glory. Okay. Well, it's World War One and World War Two, but mostly mm. World War One. I. I think it's Wings of Glory and it's Wings of War. I can't remember which is the current edition and which is the old edition, but that's Planes. Is this the one that was uh, that X Wing was copied from? Yes, I think it is. Yeah. Uh, Did it have like games. maneuver dials that you used? No, it has maneuver cards, which I find more exciting because I've ah, got fat fingers yeah. and I can't use dials. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And it, it like Conquest, which is how you sell a game to me, is that you have to put your cards in a little stack and then the order you draw them off the stack is the order that you do things in. And like board game classic Robo Rally, it's always good to take the top card off your stack and then realise that was supposed to be the bottom card and you've just fucked yourself for the entire turn, which I'm sure is what uh, you know real fighter pilots in World War One often did, just turn the wrong way or fly away from what's supposed to be happening for no reason. Um the the people who were sort of demoing it seemed to have a club, and I think that was their main focus. So they were all quite good, um, but I'd quite like to play it with people who were shit at it, which is you know a level of fun I think for any game. So. <laughs> I'm currently marveling at all the little planes for it, which look great. And yeah. Also, it's Ares Games. They also make a starter set called Tripods and Triplanes, which is. Like World War One era planes versus War of the Worlds tripods, which frankly sounds incredible. It does sound good. Ares makes some really weird stuff. Yeah. Is this? Oh, is it Kickstarter? Uh, oh no, it's a Kickstarter a few years ago. Okay, cool. That's um, pretty, pretty amazing though. It does look good. I'd just like to play the normal version. So if you're listening yeah, to Ares yeah. games, could you actually just produce your rules and sell them to? Yeah. Me? Uh, yes. <laughs> They're one of the people that used to make Battletech models. Oh wow! Is it Ares that were behind? Um, oh, this is good radio. I've immediately emptied my head of the game I was thinking of. Were they Firestorm Armada and stuff like that? Um, mm. And there was the other one, which was um, no, they weren't. They weren't Firestorm Armada. Is the short answer to that? And what's the one with all the little boats and stuff? Oh, uh, Dystopian Wars. Dystopian Wars. I'm not sure if that was Ares. Hmm. I don't think it is, but I might be wrong. Mm, it's got its own website. It's not on the area. It, no, that's also War Cradle who did Firestorm as well. Oh, right. <laughs> right, okay. Or it is now. I think Dystopian Wars has changed hands like once or twice. So. Yes, it was pretty much declared dead until someone bought it and tried to lift it back out of the ground. And I think they're trying really hard. It's got a dedicated core of people who love it. I think yeah. it just didn't 
Yeah. It's got a new Work stuff. First so. time. It's got boats in, so I should like it, but... Looking at this starter set has reminded me that one other game thing I did is I played a big game Drop Zone Commander with Pete, who on the last podcast talked about how he had painted hundreds of miniatures for it. And I can confirm that he has painted hundreds of miniatures for it, and they're very nice. And we played the game, and it's okay to good, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> it's It's... There's a few steps to get your head around, but it's cool, and it is much better than the first edition that I played several years ago. Um, the main thing it made me want to do was get the spaceships from Drop Fleet Armada, though, because I really like some of those designs. Um, uh, maybe I do. Drop Fleet has a really cool like rule set. I read the rule book a while mm. ago because I do that sometimes, um, and it's got a really fascinating um, uh, way of basically like how working out how ships can shoot each other because basically the presumption is that all ships are running on under stealth always so either yeah. you've got to be close enough to pick someone up or you've got to turn on your own sensors to pick up other people um, but of course that makes your signature louder so that you can be seen from further away and if you're shooting if you shoot your guns then like that makes your signature bigger so there's like a whole meta game of like again what order do you do things in because if you like lights up your like battleship first activation then now the whole board can see it yeah Ooh, interesting that's yeah very old style uh naval combat where you had searchlights but the problem is that if you turn your searchlights on to see people to shoot at literally everyone people else can, can see, see your you. searchlights yeah 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 the um i like the core sort of conceit objectives wise in drop fleet as well which is that you are the fleets trying to drop the the drop ships that appear in drop zone commander like you're trying to drop those over population centers or objective zones so there's a whole mechanic for like dropping your frigates close to the atmosphere to get the drop ships out and that makes them sort of more vulnerable um, but it's how you score objectives so it is not just drive all your ships at each other and have a big fight yeah, I don't know in reality whether it turns into that or not. But yeah, I mean, I think that you always need that's a it's very clever actually because in space you always need a reason for people to fight. I mean, the problem with space is that it is very big and it's very easy to just ignore each other if you don't want to, uh, yeah. or just run away. But focusing it in on like your it's always about a location that you're fighting over. Um, and it's physical location, you know, on a planet, so that can't move. It, also, you can't just blow it up from far away for, <laughs> again, meta reasons. Like, you've, because that's another problem with space combat in like a sort of realistic setting is that, like, if someone, if someone controls space, they just win because they can just shoot nuclear rocket, nuclear missiles at you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like, you've got to add all these sort of like story reasons for why you can't do that. Yeah. Everyone's trying to like keep earth right because the ucm are trying to retake their homeland and the scourge are trying to i think like mind they're like, called the, the scourge people. so i'm sure and, it's fine what they're trying to do yeah i think they like take the people as and put brain slugs in them i think and maybe use the planet as a food source as well so anyway they don't want to blow it up either way the PHR are also humanity from a different place. There's the resistance who are um like the humanity who are still on Earth, so obviously they don't want to blow it up either. 
Uh, and then there's a Shaltari, and I don't know what they want, but apparently not to blow it up either. <laughs> so <laughs> I have, having seen the photos of the game and the the stuff that Pete was painting, the it looks like a game I'd be really interested in, but I really don't like the look of the troops. They look, I don't know, there's something about them that I, I don't like. Um, They're rudimentary, I would say. A lot of them, yeah, um, but. It is a perfect segue, though, into what Alistair wanted to talk about today. Yes, good segue. Very good segue. Alistair, what did you bring to the table today that might relate to why I don't like certain very small spaceships and tanks? So I brought to the table something which I don't actually know very much about. I have thoughts about it, but I have no training on it. And that is aesthetics and war game design. So I didn't do art theory at school and I didn't do engineering like design or art design, but this is the internet. So there's no one to stop me from like just talking about something even I don't know anything about it. So here we are. I do know a lot about war games, I guess, and how I know how I feel about how they look. So it's a start. Cool. So of course, design aesthetics go into everything, even if people don't really appreciate it. Um, and there are various schools of art design or design sort of how things look. Um, and it's pretty obvious when you start looking for it in miniatures. And one of the one of the things that everyone's familiar with is 40K and other games workshop games. So for an example, almost all Imperial vehicles look very of a family. You can tell that they are Imperials because like they're blocky, they have um, like a certain sort of like profile and they have rivets on the outside. But taking that just a little bit step further, you realize that no angle is sort of like greater than any sort of like edge, like the, the roundness of the edges between panels is very consistent across all things. And the rivets are often the same size and the same spacing on all different like vehicles. And within a single sort of sub-faction, things might be quite similar, like this Mars pattern armor on knights, for instance. They're all very curved, and the um, trim is all very similar across all of them. So you get like the idea that all these things are part of a family. And of course, like this, these design sensibilities like go across other factions as well. Like Eldar have their smooth roundness um, signed by. Oh uh, gosh, who was the guy who like hand sculpted all of the town vehicle, all the uh, elder vehicles? Oh, um, ooh, it's yeah. escaping my brain. I know who you mean. Yeah. I anyway, like they were the names. So. Yeah, I can't remember either. But like they were all designed at the same time, and they've all got a very distinct look. I mean, partially because all of those were sort of like sanded out of wood, which and th- that's a, another thing. So you would tools for how you make the thing sometimes define how the looks work, at least if your designers are working in hand with your engineers, which they should be, I think, for a successful company. So for Eldar, like the designer was literally crafting the things out of bits of wood and therefore like everything's got very nicely smoothed because he sanded down edges and like curves and things. But as like Technology's changed. You can like design things more consistently and have sort of a design library, I guess, that you're working from. Mm-hmm. Anyway, like, I just sort of like was, I've, I think about this a lot because it's just something which 
I, I don't know, it's just something that like lives in my brain. Um, and I wanted to know if you think about it or notice it. I notice it a lot. Um, and I don't know how i mean uh, there's there's different ways i could talk about this uh, and you know to some degree this question overlaps with the question i've considered asking on the pod which is what's your worst most grognardy trait because a lot of the current gw design aesthetics for 40k i really don't like and i don't think it looks like 40k which is a real sort of ass hat kind of thing to say but it just yeah, I don't know. I don't like it. It doesn't look right. I think a lot of things in 40k looked stupid, but that they worked. And I think a lot of the things now don't look like they work. And again, to sound like a total asshole, they look like toys. Um, and I don't want my tiny plastic space marines to look like toys. I want them to look like, I don't know, real men for real space war or something. <laughs> look, if, if you have a grav tank and not a tracked tank... You've gone woke. Is no, that what you're saying? I, I'm okay with the, the woke ones. It, it's almost like the last generation. The, uh, I mean, some people I know flipped out. So yeah, I'm, I'm not going to say the grav tags are the, the woke <laughs> Illuminati or whatever. I don't know. I'm not a loony on the internet, so um, I'm a loony off the internet. But yeah, the most recent things that have come out, they just don't look right. And and I mean, Alistair. We've talked about like you know what his background was. My background is engineering and stuff, and I'm not expecting things to be realistic and stuff. But I think it was a generation of marine kits that were the Firestorm turret and the little car. Oh thing. yeah, yeah. They just didn't look good. Like the start start of ninth ed. Yeah, yeah, and then there was the. I mean, the new guard infantry kits. Look, this is the thing. It's like GW are knocking out of the park and Age of Sigma stuff. I'm really excited about, as I talked about in the last pod. But I, you know, I don't have a game to use them with. But then, yeah, some of the guard stuff just doesn't look good. And the new tank, I don't give a shit whether it's got a bottom or not, but it just looks weird and lumpy in the front. Ah. I don't like the little low-down gun turrets and things. I did leave those. I just built a Rogaldorn. I did leave the like built-in forward-facing like stubbers off because yeah. I didn't really like those. But I love it overall. I think it takes so much from like various World War Two tanks and then it's just like, mashes it's, them it's, together. It's a Matilda into... two with a pattern turret on it, isn't it? It's yeah, and sort of like a vaguely Shermany, vaguely T thirty four y kind of shape as well, just sort of like hints thereof. But it it comes together into this like gigantic cuboid, like Tonka toy, and I can see why that would be jarring for some people. I love it. But... I, I love it as a tank, but without the stupid low down. But it, it looks like it's something out of Venus Wars or something like that, which is you know an anime from forty years ago. <laughs> I like it as that, yeah, but it doesn't look right for 40k. And the field guns don't look good. You know, the, the carriages are all weirdly oh, laid out and stuff. Don't and, I don't know about that. And I really don't like the Votan stuff. I like the Votan models, but the vehicles, again, like there's there's guns mounted on gimbals, and the gimbals are just very, like, little brackets, and they just come out in really weird angles and really weird positions. They just don't look engineered, as it were, which I think 40k was always very good at selling this aesthetic that although it's, you know, a, a skull cyborg who's controlling your guns, it looks <laughs> like it's an engineered thing in, in part of the world. But if you've got this kind of like little weedy bracket coming up, uh, I just don't like it. Uh, yeah, I don't like the way they look on the thing. And it's telling That's as fair. well that 
as we're recording this, Forge World are stopping selling a load of their old kits, and their old kits don't do that. And I think the old kits are done by the sort of real rivet counter kind of tank treadheads that tank Forge World used to had. Yeah. Yeah, all the old sort of Resin Krieg tanks and stuff. Gosh, there's some real ugly bastards in that range. Hell yeah. I hate the Macarius. I mean, I, I love it, but it's it's such a stupid weirdo. The Macarius? I did. The Macarius is the... Hang on, which is the Macarius? Macarius is the super long one, right? Yeah. It's oh, it's so the Malkador is the one I really like, sorry. Oh, I like the Malkador, yeah. I vaguely considered yesterday or the day before when the email went round about those last chance to buy... I like really nearly bought a Trojan because Aww. cool like rescue tank on a Chimera chassis is very cool, yeah. and now it's sold out. So um, I will. I mean, I think that, that that at least you could definitely sort of like custom build one yourself. Yeah, yeah. Buy a, chi- a Chimera for yeah. thirty quid and three D print or build a crane. You know, you can buy polystyrene extrusion in a Gerda shape. Yes. So. <laughs> I mean, the other thing with those kits as well, particularly the um, the basilisk. Is it the basilisk or is it the mortar, the manticore? The gorgon's the mortar, I think. Uh, but anyway, they, they are the bo- they are two of the example kits out of the Imperial Armor painting books, which the Forge World used to do, or maybe still do. Um, That's good books. And they're such good books, and they're done in a really kind of like tread-heady, kind of like rivet cantery way, but you know, as weird chaos vehicle, or, you know, um, chaos militia stuff. Yeah. And uh, that... Mm. I think is that era of 40k that I really like. So yeah, I, I feel that 40k is moving away from what I like in an aesthetic. Hmm. I think, that, like, it's it's fine to have like a couple of misses in a row, but I think you'd be like you never know what the next thing's going to be that's just going to put you like right back into it, right? So yeah, like, I can see why true. the Votan, the Votan, I think, were very sort of chalk and cheese i really like the votan as something new and different and you know like i think in the context of a world where like the eldar stuff exists the votan stuff doesn't feel weird to me because i don't think any of the eldar stuff feels particularly like engineered it's more alien than the votan stuff which helps it maybe not have a threshold to cover like to get over compared to like you know the votan stuff it looks like a car with six wheels and you sort of go Where's the suspension? How does it work? Or whatever. You know, where are the gimbals for the guns? But I mean, you have the um, GC Occult's vehicles, which are sort of similar type of thing. And they, I think, work as a sort of, uh, you know, as that kind of aesthetic a lot better. I don't, I don't know. It's interesting to me. Yeah. Um, I, I want to do some squats for Necromunda, and I'd quite like to do the Necromunda, uh, you know, Mario Kart, whatever it is, expansion, uh, Ash Waste. <laughs> um, Mario Kart. And and I was thinking about buying. I can't really afford the big vehicle for Votan for like just for Necromunda, but maybe the small vehicle and and just trying to kind of convert cool. it up to be something like as a kind of like a traveling home for a load of squats on Necromunda. Ah, oh, like how really cutting the back, the upper back quarter out, and then turning it into one of those like campers that sits in a pickup truck. Yeah, exactly <laughs> that. And sort of, Amazing. That actually, uh, yeah, that and what you mentioned earlier, Rich sort of links to my other thoughts about this, which is when you're making conversions or when you're sort of like kit bashing, um, nothing is more sort of like jarring to me as seeing a kit bash that's either like just used like say World War II kits 
or the kit bash that's from two radically different uh, design sensibilities. Like if they, someone's just put like Eldar bits on a uh, lemon rust, for instance. Yeah. The mixture of those just bugs me. And I mean, like I realize this is an entirely like personally subjective thing, but when something doesn't, when a part of something doesn't match the sort of general aesthetic of the thing, it becomes quite obvious can take you out of it, I think, quite quickly. And this is where kit bashes really struggle, especially if you're doing a large vehicle where it might be hard to find like a large piece of machinery that matches the rest of it. But then if you're going to kit bash it, like completely and make it out of like it's plastic card, like you want to make sure that your plastic card is thick enough so that it like actually matches the thickness of other sections of your tank. I feel yeah. personally, because like yeah. if a, of course, like in real life, um, of the side wall of a tank is going to be like what, like two centimeters thick, which at 40k scale is going to be like paper. But yeah. to actually make a scale accurate thing and then put it into 40k just looks wrong because it doesn't fit the aesthetic of anything around it. And similarly, like if you're going to put bolts on it, you want the bolts to be the right scale. So to me, this is something that really bugs me and it makes me think a lot because I, always i'm thinking about how to make like big kit bashes like i've got some knights um because i bought that fomo box at the end of last year uh, uh um, yes yeah kept that one quiet yeah well i was like i just as yeah i just lost broke my nerve and i was like I, i'm gonna do it just buy some big robots so and i really want to get painting them because i've been painting my other big robot for the whole year so that's one of the things that stopped me um but i want to kit bash them because um I want to have some sort of like semi techno heretic knights who can either play either side of the Imperial Knights and Chaos Knight divide and also use them with my 30k force so they can't be too weird, but then also like I'd like them to be a little bit weird because everything mm. in 30k is a little bit weird. So then I'm thinking constantly of like, like how much can I greeble these things? What can I greeble them with that it'll still look yeah. accurate to the technology of the thing? Um, and yeah, it's just it's taken up a huge amount of my mental power for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I really struggle with kit bashing for for that reason, like trying to make things right. So like, odd host James has like a huge army of converted kit bashed Skitari, where like every humanoid kit in the forty k range almost have been turned into Skitari in some way. And I try and do stuff like that sometimes, which is like, no, brain doesn't work like this. And it's because I can't, like, visualize how to make it fit, like, the aesthetic, the design mm. aesthetic, like you say. Yeah, I, I have a lot of respect for people that can do that because I, like, I, I think I'm quite good at converting, like, you know, a guardsman to look like a different guardsman. Mm -hmm but less so like a guardsman to look like a horrible servitor like they have the ideas but like a, i think a combination of execution and laziness <laughs> i mean <laughs> I don't get that i try to kit bash a lot of my 40k orc army which i never finished certainly i never finished i only played in crusades at like maybe a thousand points worth i did but yeah for that you know and alistair's talking there you were saying about you know, how do you, you know, do you think about it? It's like, well, yes, even going into that project, you know, and, and Orcs are the standard thing people do kit bash, and a lot of the ways that sort of kit bash is done is just glue random bits on and things. And I think that's fine in a lot of ways, but that isn't the way I wanted to go with it. So it's like I sat down and looked up 
in, in, in very close detail all the Forge World sculpts that they have for orcs and how they were doing the plate edges and how they did detailing and stuff. And again, looking at like Gaz, who's like the only new plastic orc kit. Oh no, there's the uh, you got the what's it called? There's quite a few new kits now. There's the Beast Snaggers now, yeah. I don't like the Beast Snagger big uh, things, by the way. They're, they're another thing that I didn't like. The squig Hogs. Yeah, they don't know the, the sort of fat dinosaur things. I just don't like the stupid, you know, uh, toy that goes on the back, toy cart that goes on the back of them. Oh, the big, big thing. The yeah. Kill Rig? Kill Rig? Kill Rig? And there's like a wizard version of it as well, so... Yeah, I didn't like them. I, I, it's, I feel it's like all the big kits that I've just had have been off for me recently, or you know, the vehicle kits. Warhammer has really gravitated towards Rangers having big centerpiece models in a way that they didn't always before. So like Orcs had the Stomper and stuff, and like the Gorkonor and Morkonor. They weren't really like centerpieces in the same way as like the Kill Rig and Gazgul yeah, and stuff are supposed to be. It's just the aesthetic of how that's done. And like I say, I mean, I love. Age of Sigma stuff, and I love the vehicle and some of the infantry stuff. It's just I, I feel like it's so persistent at the moment that it is a, you know, a design aesthetic choice that GW are doing. And it again, I, I it, you say it and you sound like a complete knobber, but to say it looks like a toy, <laughs> um, but they are toys, true. They are toys, but they don't need to look like to, you know. It's they look like an action set kind of thing, and it's you know, I love my Necromunder play sets, like the Necromunder Dolls House collections that they do, the little marketplace and things. They're brilliant. So it's not like, like oh, I'm I'm too serious and mature. You know, I, I, <laughs> I'm very happy to be dumb as fuck about it. It's just, you know, and this is the thing. It's like, you know, other people like it. And I've, you know, I'm not going to disagree with them about that. Uh, serious but for Marines me, only, please. <laughs> they don't work as a look, these the new vehicle aesthetics uh so yeah like i said when i was doing the orcs it was like i wanted to focus on getting things and this is you know, some of these were just built from scratch you know and i didn't want them to stand out as being because this you get the thing you get as well when you get people making third party kits i mean obviously some are just ripping off gw's designs and other people are doing slightly different things you know it's been really fascinating um watching the 3d print industry uh well design industry sort of grapple with this problem because lots of people are you know, there are a million varieties of not a marine. And it's really striking, you know, like you can tell this one looks like a marine-like figure who would fit within the Warhammer universe. And this is just a big guy with pauldrons. Yeah. <laughs> like, and like, it, it's clear that like some designers get it and they're trying to design for a thing that fits in the world. And like, yeah. what I really, really like is people who get it but then are still trying to design their own unique thing i mean piper's to me this is the foremost of that that she's so good at doing not tau yeah i think that helps she's helped there in that tau already because they're futuristic i mean well so the sort of like modern day reality futuristic um she can get away with a lot like she mm. can get you can push the boundaries of like a style and aesthetic because like of course robots can't do anything if you are willing to like just you know say magic servos do stuff <laughs> and but i mean like i really like her work i think she's really she's really good at what she does but if you're trying to design something that goes in imperium it's quite a different like task because you're trying to like limit yourself yeah i agree so many 3d designers as well like very talented like undeniably talented at 3d sculpting which is the thing i suck at but um will do like 
in ZBrush or Blender or whatever it is, like a really beautifully detailed Primark analogy, or let, let's just say like Space Marine analogy, because that scaling works better, and then scale it down so it's 30-ish millimeters tall. And that, I think, is like the magic that a lot of people miss, is that really good designs for miniatures yeah. are exaggerated. Yeah. Like, so, you know, like, if you look at old British webbing or whatever, just to make like an Imperial Guard example, they did not all have several pouches that were like four times the size of their hand. But then when you look at like the pouches a guardsman has on them, they have massive pouches. But that's so that they stand out more. You can clearly see that they're wearing pouches and also yeah. they're, they're easier to paint. Whereas if they had like three little pouches and then like one normal sized canteen rather than like a canteen the size of their head, it just like isn't exaggerated in the same way and it doesn't work as well. And yeah. there are designers who like I think the makers cult really mm, like yeah, understand yeah. that with their various different like guard like army guard analogy ranges that they do i think they fit in really well because they get that they have the like slightly bigger hands slightly bigger heads and exaggerated details slight even guns like a guardsman's las gun when you stand it on its end is like two-thirds of his height and that is that hasn't been true for a long time of like any military weapon really <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's the classic bolters there, you know, as a it's because it's just a big, massive chunky gun like the size of like four house bricks taped together, and it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe that's the sort of I don't know, not not rule 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 of thumb, but it's like yeah, it's almost like what you were saying before about the kind of is it a man with pauldrons or is it a space marine? It's like things that work in forty k. Um, don't work in other places i think and sometimes yeah mm -hmm. you get these of 3d prints that you look at and, and yeah they, they haven't got the 40k aesthetic and it's like yeah they're, they're good models but they don't look right in this world and they could be used quite well in another world but then you can have have I, and i've just recently picked up the stargrave book because uh, osbury had a sale on recently uh, and i need more game systems obviously um but <laughs> i don't want to use any of my 40k terrain there and i don't want to use any of my 40k models in that um, yeah because no, they're, they're really 40k agree. models they look like 40k and it's like if i'm in cool future space everything doesn't need to be covered in skulls and you know <laughs> grimy as fuck um, i feel like like an imperial citizen seeing a servitor colony would be like ah yes the the thinking machine <laughs> and like a scar a stargrave crew landing on a planet and finding a servitor colony would be like what we're gonna get out of fucking here. hellscape have we landed in <laughs> So this is a great, like, just an aside. Um, if you haven't read the Gideon the Ninth books, I have not. I've heard they they're good. quite good, but it's a very sort of like it's a, it's it's interesting because it is not forty k, but it's it is a grim dark setting, uh, which also has a um, civilization which has a worship of death um, for plot reasons, but like. Yeah, they just gribble all their shit with skulls. And, like, it's really funny reading, like, these characters who talk and interact with each other quite, like, modern-day people and just, like, go past the, like, you know, the control panel, which is, like, encrusted with skulls. And it's just, like, this is ridiculous, actually. And then you think, like, but this is just how everything is in 40K. Just, like, yeah, of course my computer has a skull on it. Why wouldn't it? It'd be weird not to. Yeah. I mean, that's that's it. I mean, 40K is... 
I thought, I thought, not just 40k, but GW are so good at capturing an aesthetic and nailing it when they're not doing vehicles I don't like. And I think, you know, you, you could never knock them for it because they are, yeah, I don't know, there is something about it. it what was the, um, there's been video games that kind of like had a sort of 40k-ish aesthetic and they just haven't been, there's a certain point, it's just like, you know, uh, Warcraft is kind of the, the thing where it's like, it, it doesn't have that same look that gw nail so consistently well warcraft's an interesting story of a thing that you know built its own aesthetic and sort of only really nailed it in in the sort of like latter half of warcraft 3 yeah and then turn yeah. it into world of warcraft and that's now their whole thing it's like they've got a very very well designed aesthetic that like you can tell like if you see a screenshot nowadays like of world of warcraft you can tell if you play it back in the day which probably we all did that's true yes yeah, yeah. yeah. that as well because the design is so strong yeah yeah I suppose that's true. I'm trying to think of other products. I mean, you'd put in your notes there, Alistair, the, you know, War Machine. It's like, I really like the War Machine aesthetic. Mm. I think, again, it, it really lands it. I really dislike it, personally. Yeah. I do, yeah. <laughs> Having played it. like Oh, as a game, I've nev- never played it. So. I, I just don't like putting the models together and I don't like the way that they no. paint up. It yeah, doesn't work for me, but I, it does work for lots of people. But it definitely has its own thing. And that's definitely a design that's come out of the material that they were using for such a long time. Like there there are are material constraints that were forcing them to like design the way that they did. Mm -hmm. And I mean, (laughs) I mean, yeah, I mean, some people really dislike it. I'm one of them, but some people really do like it and they've like found a niche. It is credibly internally like very consistent across the ranges and between because they're cross compatible their fantasy and steampunk sort of lines as well which is quite impressive right i'm I'm a war machine apologist because i like the game i'm not an apologist for everything in war machine's history (laughs) i do like to play like i got a pair yeah i was gonna say it's because you're a real man or whatever it was not a yeah i'm not a baby I do, but, you know, like, Alistair, you've written in our notes here, War Machine, brackets, chunky. <laughs> and, you know, like, if you think Warhammer has overblown rivets, then, oh boy, you will love the War Machine model where each plate has, like, two rivets, but they are the size of a guardsman's head. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's, like, the thing I find really jarring about War Machine, and probably more in the reverse, where I've like occasionally seen people in like 40k groups like try and convert something from War Machine or like use bits somewhere, is it sticks out so much from almost like every other range of stuff I've yeah. ever seen. Like it's so not cross compatible outside think, of itself. Actually, this whole like I really started thinking about aesthetics a lot after I took out a. Um... Uh, Stormwall, like the really big robot for Signal. Oh, I used to used to have one of those. I wonder if yeah. I so I was like, I was like, maybe I can convert this into something 40k. And I took it out and I looked at the pieces and I was like, there is no way this doesn't look like it comes from 40k at all. Like, and no, nothing I could do to it would get rid of that problem. Like, I could take off all the rivets and it would still look wrong. So the shapes aren't right. It's all round, right? Yeah, like even Signar, who are like the sort of more knightly faction, everything is slightly curved, and it really jars against like, mm-hmm. you know, the sort of equivalent. I try to think what the equivalent would all even be in AOS slash 40k. There's not a direct analogy, but like 
I don't know, like the Cities of Sigmar, like old free guild stuff or whatever, like the steam tank is probably like the most war machine thing in the Warhammer range, maybe, and it would not fit still. So Yeah. Agreed. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I think it's in- I mean there's yeah, it's interesting. There's a lot of companies that really nail it. And, you know, I really think about it and aesthetic is the thing I really care about in my media. I don't I mean this is you know, to go back to the very start of, of this, it's it's what I didn't find interesting about uh Drop Zone Commander. It's like yeah, there was tanks, there just could be tanks from anything. I, I really like my media to have like this is mm. a thing from that thing and it doesn't work anywhere else. Um you know, like sort of Ghibli stuff is so good. You know, uh, not models, obviously Ghibli animation and things. And then, you know, you get things like Last Exile and stuff again, which should really nail the aesthetic. And then you go into like basically any rendition of Dune. All I'm going to do is talk about Dune every podcast I come on to, I realise now. But like the, the new Dune film is just an art book, basically. And you just sit there going, mm. yeah, that looks amazing. I mean, it probably wouldn't work as a miniatures game, those actual models. And I have seen people no. try to do it because it's like there's a fidelity there and a scale thing there that just doesn't translate to yeah the tape yeah when you just turn it down to like the the minute like the miniatures like the people Duncan Idaho or whoever Gurney, Gurney Halleck they're just like guys right there's nothing special about them really and like yeah. even you know the I'm gonna forget all the June words, but like the armored soldiers from various factions are kind of like quite generic sci-fi armor. Or you know, you have like the nomadic people who again sort of look quite generic nomadic people, but it's all in the way they interact and then how like the world that is shaped by them with either like the sandworms or the huge ships and the Yeah. Feel the fields that like the the like slow fields with the bullets and the knives and things. Oh, with these shields. Yes. Yeah. yeah, like the shields are oh, so cool. I mean, the the Lynch version of Dune would almost miniaturise better. And then maybe that's just because of technology, you know, for how they were doing that film. That You know, the technology wasn't as advanced as it is now. Yeah. But, there's, you know, the Fremen costumes were kind of quite bold. The, the uh, Sadauka and stuff and the sort of Harkonnen aesthetic there was really strong. And, you know, obviously it was Lynch, so it was... You know, weird and bonkers, but yeah. yeah, yeah, you could you could do something with that. I think I don't know. It's yeah, I... second pod in a row where we request a mini of Sting in his pants. We do. Good <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> old Sting in his pants. Yeah, love it. <laughs> Was there anything else we wanted to cover here? We've sort of waffled like we've got the right people here to just go on and on about this i think but no i think we've covered a lot of interesting things and like i had some good discussion i think yeah i I don't want to apologize because i feel like it's it's very easy to be negative about aesthetic because yeah particularly for me it's jarring when it's not working and it's when it is working it's good and you just enjoy it and you don't really have amazing takes about it it really is like one of those things that i I mean, because you get people who just don't get any, who can't recognize it in anything. And honestly, maybe that's a better way to live. Probably. Because, you, you know, people can't recognize an Art Deco <laughs> building for it as being like a thing. Like, it's just a nice building. Like, you don't yeah. have to, it doesn't have to be a big deal. But And then you get to the point where you like, that looks like an Art Deco building, but they've done something wrong. So it must oh, be no, a different the worst time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I do. I want to seize on like one more thing that you sort of wrote in these notes, Alistair, which is like, do you like certain designs? So, do either of you have like a single aesthetic that you really, really like and would just like to espouse the virtues of, like a design philosophy or? Um, yeah, well, I mean, I I cheated and I wrote something down earlier, so I'll just go first and steal it. Um, yep. The Machine and Krieger designs, um, which is a Japanese sci-fi model line, basically. Is it just is... a model line? It's not like from a show or anything. There's I, some I don't really know. good films, and I mean by good, I mean bad, because the films came after the model line, and they use the real models. Oh. I think that. I think that it literally started as like a line of garage kits, like a guy just Mm -hmm. started building them. And then there was some art afterwards, as far as I know. But anyway, um, what's really interesting about them is that basically it's, it's all sci-fi sort of like armored infantry and hover tanks and things, but it's this weird mix of super garage kit like work. So like, you know, he's taken, they take molds of like, yogurt tubs and like spoons to get yeah. like their base forms and then they greeble the shit out of them with world war ii kits so it's this interesting weird aesthetic of like curved and like sort of bulbous pods then mixed with really intricate detailed like piping along edges and like wiring of the sections and things it means that it looks really realistic because also, often these kits are in 132, uh, 135 scale, so they've got a lot more sort of space to work with. Um, mm. But they look very real. Like they, there's an ungainliness to them that you see in some military hardware. Like this thing is built to like go onto a battlefield, but it's also like a dodgy piece of technology which is like is going to work most of the time unless it gets dirty, in which case it's probably not going to work, and it's got mud <laughs> in it because it's. You know, people have been shooting at you. Um, yeah, I just love it. It's Neat. really unique. I love some of those kits that you've shared at various points, like various people I, have I shared. I wish they weren't as expensive and hard to get. Oh. How about you, Drew? Is there any, do you have like a, a hype design? I mean, you can call up things in AOS or whatever, because that's definitely have something. I mean, in real world stuff, I really like pre-30s design probably through to maybe like 1895 maybe a bit earlier 1898 which does line up with you know my 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 boat fixation as well but there is something about that kind of <laughs> late industrialization era that are just it's so interesting to me and you know and i talked about kind of ghibli and stuff and that is just captures that as well um mm-hmm. but if i wanted to have a sort of really tight single summing up of an aesthetic that i would just eat ice cream all day it is paul bonner's stuff Ooh. Hmm. googling <laughs> mm, yes ah. oh you got the minotaur nice i have got the minotaur yes so bonner did do gw art originally yes okay i do recognize some of this stuff uh and, and bonner is just i don't know there's something about it that's so distinctive and so i just like it it's like the proportions are you know totally fucked up and things on these little weird characters and stuff you know and some of them yeah. are very kind of like you know jim henson-esque almost these kind of weird dwarves and goblin-y type things but yeah no i, I really like bonner's stuff it's like lots of the old concept art and box art and stuff for like the really old warhammer stuff yeah give me a, a snouty orc any day i want a big yeah, it's actually um orcs. 
Froud, the guy who was working with um, Tencent on the uh, Dark Crystal. So that's all his, that's his side of the things. I mean, Tencent, of course, did huge work in it, but like those designs are very Froudian. Uh, yeah. They have like really expressive faces, like over exaggerated expressive faces and stuff. Like, yeah. That's it. Because I mean, through. Bonner's predominantly a, well, he's an artist these days. You know, I don't think he's done miniature stuff other than, you know, like I said, the Minotaur, which is just a, a model of his art. It's like yeah, it, yeah, it's not sculpted by him, is it? It's, no, no, um, it's not. No, it's just good to paint. You know, it looks like it would be good to fun to paint. You know, it's nice, big, bold, chunky kind of characterful things. And I don't know. Yeah, it's just really, really nice. Really, really interesting. Yeah. Then, do you have a aesthetic then, Rich? Seeing as you, I don't know about like translating into miniatures so much, but something I really, really love, and I really need to get hold of like a coffee table book or something of, is um, Simon Stollenhag's stuff. It's particularly like Tales from the Loop. Yeah. Um. So for people who aren't familiar, the art that Simon Stollenhag does is like. Um, it's a Swedish artist, and it's like juxtaposition of like 80s, 90s, sort of semi-rural Swedish life with like future technology. So like, if you just put his name, yeah, Drew's, <laughs> Drew's just whipped out like four books worth. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite images is, um, it's clearly like a sort of summer, late summer, autumn field on the edge of a forest and it's a car driving doing a big skid and there's someone hanging out of the sunroof with uh, like a big road flare and there's two huge like bipedal sort of almost like chickens but like very smooth design yeah, following it and I think I think the, the like narrative behind that is that they're like forest fire anti-forest fire robots and these people are like fucking with them by driving around with the road flare. And all a lot of his art has this kind of undercurrent of all the machines look very like utopic. They're very smooth. They're very clean. They look like sort of a helpful robot. But all of it comes together to have this like really kind of dystopic edge in the way that he portrays them. So. Like in this one, it's clear that there's some reason that these presumably like teens in a Mark II Volkswagen Golf, which is like a really helps to place it in an era. There's like a reason that they're fucking with these robots and these things are so big that even if their purpose is like to fight forest fires, they're like incredibly menacing. And there's some of like, you know, like even just a combine harvester on a farm that looks really messed up. He has a really good line in like sort of scenes of like semi-urban semi-rural decay where there is then like some gigantic technology in the background yeah. that's completely unexplained that's all the electric state stuff and the electric yes the, the, the only i love stalahog to be honest i've got a lot of stalahog prints on my walls as well but stalahog is kind of very depressed at the state of the world at the moment and, yes, oh it my comes God. from a place of pain. Uh, uh, his book, most recent book, Electric State, was pretty bleak, and the labyrinth is incredibly hard work to get through. Yeah, yeah, and the menace is really strong. He never explains anything. So there's, there's the their books are effectively stories, but there's mm. very little text in them, and almost all of it's left to your own imagination. But yeah, the Electric State uh, things, yeah. like you were saying, the sort of decay and these giant 
buildings are yeah it's amazing um yeah i'm just gonna this is terrible radio but maybe this is like the image i will link from like from the show notes maybe i will just put it in our odd chat um discord when i find it we're gonna have to cut so much of this out i'm sorry <laughs> leave it all in it's pure, leave it pure all in. gold um, us thinking about things this i mean this one is more overtly bleak in that it's like a couple who are like hugging as though they've given up and there's what look like police officers on foot approaching them but then coming out of the mist in like the back mid to background of the painting oh, are these I, like I know enforcement mechs yeah. that are like oh. 50 times their height kind of thing and it's <laughs> um just friendly you know police robots with yeah, completely non-lethal right. giant cannons in their arms yeah that's, that's yeah that's labyrinth which is, is that uh, from labyrinth is yeah. it yeah it's, um, it does get bleaker and bleaker. Like, there's some good... I think he has a couple of things that, like, aren't specifically Tales from the Loop associated as well. And there's some good ones of, like, washed-up fishing boats with then, like, the modern fishing machine that has taken over in the background and stuff. Like He did do... It was a art project, eco-art project, where it that was... Might have been it. People, ecologists talking about the seas and... Um, there was a kind of through line story to that. So it was like real ecological stuff tied into Stalahag story and Stalahag art and stuff. And that, that again is incredibly bleak and depressing. Yeah. Yeah. I think I might have to, to get hold of some of these books because they're, um, they're just like, it's such a great aesthetic. And I like, this is not the right direction of travel, of like intent and information, but like, I think possibly the easiest way i could sum it up is like the sort of titanfall kind of smooth everything is smooth aesthetic mm -hmm. smooth but mechanical but then like transposed into like it's not giant mechs having a fight it's like the impact of these devices on real life and real people mm. so he's really good. good at showing the wear and like real world wear and tear on hypothetical technology as well yeah. I like this. Very inspirational in the kind machines of machines which have bumped into each other and gotten all messed up. Very yes. Good. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. And really good at contextualizing them by putting humans in frame as well. But then the humans will also be doing something fucked up, like some guys looking at an abandoned mining machine, but they're wearing weird backpacks with hoses coming out of them. And it just makes you look at it and go, what are they doing? What's wrong with the air? Yeah. What's that machine for? Where are they going? <laughs> Um, so yeah, I think that's the one that always stands out to me is really powerful, consistent aesthetic. And then even when you encounter the bits of his art that are like more weird, like Labyrinth, I think has a a bit more of a like not magic. I don't want to say like magical stuff, but there seems to be a bit more like reality bending stuff in there. I'm avoiding spoilers for Labyrinth, but yeah. Yes, so I won't spoil any of the images or anything, but it it fits still. Cool. Yeah. Anyway, it could continue to waffle for a long time so i feel we should move on rich do you want to yeah. take us to a bit more of a positive place because sure. <laughs> i can i can imagine some of the things you're going to say in this topic true i'm not uh, sure um I'll, so I'll edit it all out <laughs> is that like an edit button that makes it sound like you're smiling the whole time <laughs> So I I think this is a quick one, to be honest, because I also think the topic you 
want to talk about Drew is probably more valuable and we've been going for ages already but I want to talk briefly a bit about competition painting or like more broadly like painting to the top of your ability and I thought this would be a good topic because we've got Alistair who has literally just finished something for a competition and we'll maybe have like a bit more to say about that competition uh, and I am currently working on my Golden Demon project, which I'm not going to talk a huge amount about in terms of what it is, because I do not want to embarrass myself for a fourth year running by talking about what it is and then not finishing it. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> like, I don't talk vaguely about it. Um, and Drew, I know you go back and forth on, like, actual painting for competition, but you have certainly, in the last couple of years, produced lots of things that are like you painting to the peak of your ability with coaching feedback and like yes you know yeah. pushing something that as you would say like are absolutely display pieces but you then put in a draw <laughs> so um yeah i don't really know what i want to get out of this conversation other than it's something we all do a bit and i'd maybe interested in how you approach it differently to just painting for yourself go <laughs> yeah. so i mean yeah as you mentioned and uh, like I mentioned earlier like i my big titan has been painted for competition so the main thing which i've done there is just to make sure that i've just been painstaking and making sure everything is as good as well it's as good as my sort of like average good day is i suppose i haven't done any major mistakes and i've actually gone back and fixed things which are problems but um i haven't like tried to sort of learn any new techniques or like try to push myself beyond what i mean it's the same sort of like i've only done like two levels of highlights on the metals and things which is the same thing i've done on my previous two titans um mm -hmm. and because i think it looks good and other people seem to think it's good i mean i know that it's not as good as it could be because they could you know there's an arbitrary amount of like complexity you could add to any level of highlighting for instance like you, you could have gone non-metallic metal if you really cared. Well, that's another thing. I mean, like, so that that is one thing which I don't care about. Non-metallic metal yeah, comes exactly. up a lot. Is 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 like the pro in giant inverted commas technique because it requires a knowledge of metallic surfaces and lights, which is higher than like the average person, well, higher than most of the professionals cares to look into, and therefore being able to paint to that standard is considered very good. But I personally do not like metallic or metallic metal. I just yeah. don't like the way it looks. So I like to paint metallics. I think metallics are pretty great. And I think true metallic metal can look pretty awesome. So I tend yeah. to use that. I just, I don't care. Um, and I'm aware that like in competitions, I might be a disadvantage because I don't want to use non-metallic metal. And I think that for everyone, you have to come to a certain point of like just happiness of like, what are you willing to do? And if you desperately want to win and you know that certain things are going to be a factor, then like it's, you got to work to what you want to work to, I guess. And I guess in my case, that, that end point is quite a lot earlier than I know that I could technically do, but I just don't care. <laughs> yeah, I think I feel broadly the same. Yeah, your point on like non-metallic metal, if you don't enjoy doing it and you don't, want to do it you don't like it why would you spend 50 plus hours of your life doing it because the thing like you say the things it shows off are an understanding of lighting i'm sure drew is gonna jump in in a minute and like make me look completely stupid but an understanding of lighting and surfaces from a visual point of view like a 
the theory point of view and then from a technique point of view it shows a really doing it well shows really good capability for smooth blending and precise placement of fine highlights as well quite often all of those things are skills you can demonstrate on other parts of a model and you know some of them are skills you can demonstrate with just true metals instead so I don't think I, I don't agree with the people that say it's like super necessary. And I think there's been plenty of stuff that has won events in the past that doesn't have non-metallic metals on it. But it's the first thing every time you say you're doing something for a competition, one of the questions you get asked the most is, "Are you doing non-metallic metals?" No, probably not. No, I don't want to. They are fun, like sort of. I've done some experiment pieces and like just like painted a shield in non-metallic metal. And it's fun, like, it's quite fun to spend, like, three hours glazing and go, like, I made this. It looks kind of cool. But then you think about, like, now I'll replicate this on the rest of the Stormcast or whatever. Mm. No, I don't think I will. How about you, Drew? How do you approach... I know you're a person that thinks a lot about painting, but how do you approach, say, like, one of those 75 mil figures or busts that you're doing versus, like, now when you're rush painting your Wordbearer's army for... For next weekend mm, i yeah i enjoy painting for painting's sake and not just in painting but like in all things that i do i i want to kind of be the best that i can be and that is only in comparison to myself which is sure. you know pros and cons but yeah it, it, it's it's interesting i mean I, I i could either say a lot or i could say very little about it um <laughs> I think for me, I get pleasure in trying to be better than I am or than I was. And I also get a great deal of stress and unhappiness from that. But at at some point, you know, how you manage stress. I mean, this is almost what, you know, I'm going back to what I think it's you said, Alistair. It's like, you know, if you don't see aesthetics, maybe you are happier about things. And it's like, (laughs) if you don't, care about stuff in the same way then maybe yeah you probably are happier about things i i, I don't know I, i've been back and forth on competition painting and i i think i don't want to give the impression that i'm like a high level painter uh i'm certainly not i can paint mm, okay you're a very good painter uh, i mean depends wh- which room you're in realistically yes but in the room you spend most of your time which is our Discord server. <laughs> yeah, well, like absolutely. Also... Like one of the best painters in there. And you produce things like incredible busts and stuff that you spend four months on. Like it's, and that's, that's the difference, right? Like I think most hobbyists paint, even if they paint them very well and spend a year on them, they paint armies to a standard yeah. that may be their best standard or may not. Like I paint, loads of armies i do not paint them to my best standard but i paint them to like my accepted standard where i get them done and they are neat yes i mean that's why i enjoy doing my saga stuff because i don't feel the pressure for it but yeah what i was gonna say it's 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 difficult for me to 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 sort of have a rational opinion i think because when i wasn't as good as i am now it's very easy to go into competitions and be like no well you know i'm here but i don't need to worry about winning Mm. or doing things the better you get, and this is why I want to say, you know, I, I am not of a level that I could win a Golden Demon, even, uh, you know, even a bronze or anything, because the standard there is so high. 
but your brain likes to fuck with you and you do start to think <laughs> what if they haven't said my name at bronze so what if i got silver <laughs> yeah or like yeah. you know i always said i wanted a sticker at gd or i wanted and i have done uh, one golden demon in the past and I, or i yeah, wanted a, a pin well. you know a finalist pin but now i'm just like what does it change for me and this is the same thing you know it goes with social media as well and stuff it's like and social media is you know a separate thing because it's you know it's it's not being judged in the same way but it's yeah what does this change what do a thousand likes change about me what does a golden <laughs> demon change about me free paintbrush you get free paintbrush ours. <laughs> you don't even get the yeah. really ugly statue anymore you get a slightly less ugly resin statue yeah and it's the super ugly ones i thought it was always yeah. hilarious the idea of a, a paint gobsish which sells us the most ugly prize in the world. Pretty amazing, to be honest. Spray it bronze, dry brusher. <laughs> I've definitely help, felt some angst as I like have worked through the last stages of this Titan, being like, oh man, I've spent so much time on this, I would really like to win something. But And, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. The thing is, I know that there are plenty of people who are going to be coming to this competition um, you know, I'm in South Africa, so the painting field is much smaller. But mm -hmm. that said, there are some really good painters here. And yeah. the thing is, some of them are able to do it full time. And that is actually just kind of this, one of the things that I think separates, like, oh, yeah. separates painting competitions for me. Because unfortunately, because of like, there's, there's never infinite like prize support and there's never infinite like time for judges so you can't like judge everyone and their own relative ability but also like uh, time availability in my opinion it's it's really difficult to try and judge the same a person who's trying their best like even you drew who is trying absolutely your best like but you have a day job mm -hmm. and you can't spend literally months on a single miniature like someone yeah. else might be able to because either they've got a full-time work it's like painting studios they paint like like six days a week and have all that extra practice or are in a privileged position to simply not have to work which i very much know is the case of some of the people in my community i mean rich white south african families what you're going to do <laughs> right <laughs> sure sure but so, I mean, it's that's kind of one of the things that actually I think is a balm, I guess, to my like most like self like flagellating moments is like, I know I can't win because I can't physically put the amount of effort in. Um, but then at the same time, I don't care to really like it is like a thing like so I don't even allow myself to think like, oh, I have to spend another like 100 hours on this thing because it's like. Well, first of all, I know I can't beat people anyway. And second of all, it's like, that just lets me accept the, uh, I, I like this good enough. I can stop. Yeah. But, uh, but I appreciate that that is a super personal view of this. Yeah. It's a really personal topic, right? The thing I say to people a lot, I say this probably once a week on average, but I'm not very good at reflecting back on myself is that you absolutely cannot control on the day what anyone else does. Um, you know, if you're a long jumper, you cannot control how far anyone else jumps. Or if you're going for, like, a best painting nomination at tournament, you can't control what army anyone else turns up with. Like you, you have a very limited sphere of influence. So 
within that, I think that's like the best advice I could give to anyone. I definitely need to listen to it myself more. Yeah. But so for like for my golden demon, and we'll explain in a minute why this plan doesn't always work. There are categories in and I suppose caveat, I'm not a seasoned golden demon attender. I've done a couple. I've never got anything. Um my goal, like my long term goal, like you drew said you were thinking originally is like i'd really like to get a pin i have not sort of wrestled with the implications of what happens if i do that like do i then go okay cool my next goal is to get a trophy yeah because i think that's so it's not necessarily like a good scale but sort of and there's there's another interesting thing now of like just golden demon is now a ticketed event whereas you know like previously warhammer Ooh, fest was a ticketed event and if you were at Warhammer Fest, you could submit yeah. into Gold Demon. Now they have... I don't know how many. I think from what I remember from Gold Demon last year, there was still a lot of stuff in the cabinets. So, mm. But the tickets sell out, and there's lots of people annoyed about that. That's... Um, online. Yeah, that's weird. I mean, I, there was some absolute like space-age takes about it. Can like I someone saying Golden Demon tickets now? I don't know, because they're all on Eventbrite. I don't know how easy they are to scan. <laughs> but, um, there were some... I saw some takes. I think it was for the last Golden Demon, not the Warhammer Fest one. But that were along the lines of, like... They sold out really quickly, because it's like... It is not the best of the best painting competition. Because nothing is. Because no, no one can travel to all of them. But it is obviously a very popular one. And... You know, especially if you're into Games Workshop and Warhammer, it's the one you'd want to win, right? Like, it's all Crystal Brush are definitely up there. Yeah, it's like the ones that people. I can't. Uh, San Saravino is probably one of the best painting competitions in the world, but most people yeah. don't. Know like, it. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> so, I saw a guy. I can't. I like. I'm not going to name names because I can't remember. I saw a few takes like this, but like when tickets for Golden Demons sold out really quickly there were a few takes along lines of like i am a commission painter and the time i have already spent on my golden demon entry is equivalent to six thousand pounds worth of my time when you factor in my time and also the commissions it might have got me yeah were it to be there in the cabinet and that's why this is bad and my approach to that is if you had six thousand pounds on the line you should have tried harder to get a ticket yeah Rather than being at like 20 past eight when they went on sale at eight o'clock, like, oh, I'll see if I got a ticket. And, you know, I'm sure people that legitimately wanted to do it missed out. Effectively. I mean, it... I'm, I'm sorry, but tough shit. Like, not everyone can <laughs> attend every event, I think. All of this was really contextualization for like, not, you know, you're not judging yourself against the best people in the world. You're judging yourself against people who managed to get a ticket and could travel to an event and, you know, spend 400 pounds for three nights in a hotel in manchester but within that there are then like tactical decisions you can make like i am not going to bother entering something in like warhammer 40,000 single figure because or like aos single figure because those are like hugely oversubscribed and the categories i always really enjoy looking at as well i'm entering this year so i'm I'm gonna enter diorama this year Mm -hmm. um but the ones i would always point people at like if you want like if you cannot glaze to within an inch of your life and you want recognition things like small scale diorama and jewel are really good categories to point people at because there's 
there are different skills in like composition and things. And all of this went out a window a little bit last year because um, Chris, I can't remember his surname, sorry, um, won the Slayer Sword with an entry in Duel with his amazing Mega Gargant fighting a Hydra. So, you know, it's not always going to work. I'm not saying like, oh yeah, just like stick two minis fighting on a base plate and you'll you'll get a trophy in Duel, no problem. Yeah. Because, you know, yeah. sometimes people just turn up with something they spent 300 hours on over a year and a half of lockdown and they're very talented hobbyists and go like, oh, I'll enter that. And it it wins a Slayer Sword. So, but, you know, no one can predict that turning up and it's very deserving. But I think you can, like, I guess what I'm saying more broadly is play to your strengths. Like, if you're really good at imagining a scene, then put time into, like, your model being in a cool scene, whether that's, like, in a cool duel or just, like you know, a squad in a cool scene rather than just a squad sat on their bases. I think that the, um, maybe the flip side of all this is like, um, especially if you've got local smaller competitions, um, obviously the Golden Demon is always going to be a massive event. It's never not going to be a massive event. Like similarly, yeah. whatever has replaced Crystal Brush is going to be huge. I think the Crystal Brush is dead now. Sorry, Drew. Yeah, because Adepticon has Golden Demon now, right? So Yeah, but like, if you've got local things or smaller things nearby, just take a punch and just go in. Like, even if you are a beginner, you should definitely try. Like, yeah. I have won things at competitions, which I had no place in winning things in because <laughs> I entered something in a category that no one else did. Just, and, you know, like, there's no, okay, well, so maybe that's just, like, getting win. But, like, you might find that you... Again, it comes back to like you don't know what other people are going to do on the day. People might just yeah. not bring in their good work or might have done something that is in that space. I mean, lots of good painters don't paint large Warhammer figures because, or, or like 40k figures because it just doesn't interest them. Like small single figure, yes, yeah. everyone's going to paint a Space Marine, but like not everyone's going to paint a Dreadnought or a Avatar or a like Gasgol. Like, yeah. So, and you know, like, and often these competitions have beginner categories, which are great because they get people coming in. Yeah, or like young bloods. I like the people that win vehicle categories with like a shadow sword because that's like winning an award for patience. <laughs> <laughs> Just being willing to paint something that big. <laughs> Not to take away from anyone that's done that. Obviously, they still have to paint them well and like weather them nicely and everything. But yeah. I guess I'd wrap it up because I do want to give Drew time to talk about his. I've got two final takes. One, okay, go on. Non-metallic metal wouldn't work for a uh, eight mil Titan because the scale's wrong and you don't get light yep. and reflections on something that scale. So, anyone yeah, who says absolutely. it should be a, an NMM is, is is incorrect, is my opinion. And then the other one is, yeah, just do the opposite of what everyone else has said and <laughs> don't don't paint for competition. Well, look at yourself and say what what does this change about myself and I should just be painting for me because that's what I've come to realize and I think it's not a bad thing yeah. and I think there is this feeling because I think that if anyone I knew won a golden demon and stuff I would they, my fucking stupid lizard brain would be really <laughs> well, fuck about them. It. yeah exactly <laughs> but you don't feel like you need to be pressured into doing it what you is what is good for you is not what yes, people absolutely. judge for. Uh, I you know I know a lot of I don't know. This is like I have talked to a lot of very very good professional painters and people, and what goes into judging a competition is not the best. It's not 
the it, 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 it there's so many other factors in play it's whether the judge had a bad breakfast whether the judge had a yeah. good breakfast what they choose about what they whether they like the person or not because no one is going to be purely objective about the judging mm-hmm. there's loads of things that come into it historical uh, model making scene is an entirely different industry you know entirely different thing that none of us have any contact with really but it's like the, the way they score those competitions you can have brilliantly painted things, but <laughs> unless it follows the metric that historicals want, which is very yeah. high accuracy, and this isn't even high accuracy, it's high perceived accuracy of uniform colours and you know, all that yeah. stuff. You've uh, you've used you've accidentally used the Italieri kit for this tank rather than the Tamiya one, and the Tamiya one's more accurate, and so I'm marking down your model. Yeah. That and kind it, of thing. Like... And the thing at the end of the day is that it's like, I think it is much healthier and happier to not paint for competition and i am um, i can't remember who it is who said it uh because it was at a dinner and i'd been drinking so i don't remember who said <laughs> it but what i would like to see is exhibitions not competitions yes i think mm. i think it is roman lapat right who is judging your competition Alistair. was it him yes who you were showing me some stuff about just him holding an exhibition of like his stuff yeah, and... yeah lapat has yeah lapat's my yeah. favorite artist i'm very jealous that alistair is getting to do a painting class with him i've got no idea how it's happening it's beyond me cool though weird very cool yeah he's um i find and this is probably stupid a lot of those like let's say like beyond crystal brush painters like uh pat and katarina and stuff undeniably incredibly talented but i just don't really actually like looking at their stuff very much which i think is because i inhabit the like war gaming world way more than the art world um but lapat is an exception to that his stuff is incredible so yeah he's quite different i i really don't like the crystal but this is the thing is that you start going into different uh, industries yeah. you know, the european style is very different from the crystal bus style it just becomes yeah, i don't it's know mad. Just and it is still yeah, like you say subject there's a yeah there's a, there's going to be so Lepat, there's a thing in this in the document which i read yesterday that like lapat's going to choose like his favorite piece to give like a an award to this thing based on most creative and I've got a really stupid idea for something that I want to throw together in a week. It's <laughs> it's really dumb, but like okay, I love it's it. kind of cool. And I'm just like, is this something that like Roman would like? I think it is. <laughs> nice, but nice. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> who is knows? It a giant pile of tyranids attacking like a golden. <laughs> No, I'm just gonna <laughs> knock that together. I don't have the like eight months he took to like put that fucking thing together. <laughs> yeah, I'd echo Drew's sentiments to wrap up. Like, paint for yourself first and foremost, and like Alice says, like just find local competition if it's something that interests you. If like your local Warhammer store goes, here's a competition, bring in a hero model, or if they're doing something that's like uh, a lot of the stores do like this miniature of the month that they give away and they'll do like a painting competition of that at the end of the month. Those are really good ways of like experiencing it in an incredibly low stakes way. Or like another one is I subscribe to the Duncan Rhodes Painting Academy TM just because I like his video style. And although I don't really use the forums very much, I do occasionally just like submit something I've painted into his monthly competition if that's something that matches i think that's a much healthier way of engaging it than like painting for competition yeah i guess like if you have thoughts on that email us and tell us <laughs> drew 
talk okay. about something else. It's going to have to be quick because we've got letters to do as well. So um, um, we've got letters to do, and we're already two hours in. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. Be quick. Right. My my question is, and we'll do it quick. Far. I'll, I'll lay out the thing, and we'll just have one one round from each person, and then we'll we'll move on to letters. So okay. I've recently changed. Uh, I've not changed job. I've changed industry within my job. And I'm now working in a different field to what I was doing before. And what it has made me realise is that I hate acronyms because it's death by acronyms, this new position. (laughs) I don't know what any of them are. Half of them are the same as things I already know because there's only so many three-letter word combinations, you know. It's it's just horrific. And I I started to see it. Now, Now I'm kind of like primed for it. I see it other places. And it has always annoyed me a bit in the hobby thing but that's usually because people put up like young person talk that i don't understand there was something you did this week rich and i was just like mfw or something and i just had to go google all these youth speak things my face went my face went i know now but yeah so (laughs) my my question is and it's not just acronyms but acronyms are what i'm you know set up against at the moment because it's it's wrecking me at work are are the barriers to entry to not to the hobby, but to hobby groups, to the kind of the community, is it a problem? And what should people be doing to help if it is a problem? Who wants to go first? I mean, I think it absolutely is a problem, but it's it's one of those things which is quite difficult to deal with. Um, I mean, I think this is a problem with all social groups, uh, especially anything that's got an insular and internal knowledge base or mm. internal like specialized knowledge. And uh, there is a certain amount you can do to ask. I mean, if you are talking about something and someone is clearly part of the conversation and you know that then you, it's always, I always try it if I'm in the store and I'm talking about something and I see someone who's new, I say, do you want me to explain this or do you know what this is? Um, because I don't want to be uh, that guy who just explains wet blending to so you know someone who turns out to have been painting for six years and at the same time it's um a lot of people are shy and don't want to speak up unfortunately some people are so shy that even if you ask them they won't respond and there you're stuck and i think but at least you can be like oh well i get all my information from this location which i try to do a lot also mm-hmm. um like i'll cry i'll i'll praise good resources or good sites and to try and like encourage people who are curious to go look even if they're too like shy to ask themselves yeah that's nice yeah it's very reasonable i'm not gonna have any input except to say that i remember the one that was particularly knowing me in the community which is for a while Mm -hmm. was it retrieve knackman's data on the competitive scene was oh yes and people abbreviate that to RND. And I'm like, RND is already an acronym used <laughs> in the wargaming scene. It's, yeah, I, I think people just need to be less. Just write words out in full if you're expecting <laughs> well, more than yeah. your mates to read it, maybe. It's clarity, isn't it? Like, yeah, that's, I agree with a lot of what Alistair said. Like, we're a, like, to use as a sort of, wider community that we're all part of and how we know each other like i like think we're quite welcoming but we are to a greater or lesser extent at least like the more vocal members of the community are like a group of friends so 
when a new person arrives and like wants to take part in the conversation that's you know that can be really imposing i've been on the other side of that in other communities like and it really becomes like a sink or swim moment where like right i'm gonna type out my hello message and depending on how it's received i'm either never gonna talk here again <laughs> or i'm gonna have loads of new friends yeah but i agree like um i totally sympathize with the acronyms side of things drew because my job title at the moment if you um if you're shorthanding it has three different acronyms that are regularly used just in my job title like not in, <laughs> in the things i then interact with so i think yeah on stuff like that being clear just like it's all just like good communication don't assume people know stuff but also don't assume they don't know it like the example you gave about just like explaining to someone what space yes. marines are well like how to paint something or like what a space marine is just be like what do you know about this um hang around in your local warhammer store if you have one don't be the annoying bastard who like hangs around having a conversation so other people have to wait 15 minutes to pay for their two paints that's very annoying but you know just like while you're browsing listen especially like these stores where they're like a single member of staff listen to the way they engage people and like be a gw conspiracy nut you're like omg they're they're doing pushy sales tactics like games workshop stores used to be like that and to an extent they still are because that person's job is predicated on them selling toys to people <laughs> so <laughs> they're gonna try and sell the toys but especially when they get like someone young in or someone who is clearly like doesn't quite know what they're looking at just listen to the way they ask like the good managers like ask people about stuff like normally leads in just with a question like do you do the hobby and if they say like oh no but i did some airfix kits or whatever there's like normally a lead a lead from that or you know like do you know then very rarely will they just launch into like telling you about space marines they'll ask what interests you and off the back of that what do you know about the thing if you've said like i like the stormcast okay cool what do you know about the stormcast and if you say nothing they just look cool they've got some info for you if you say like i really like their law then they maybe have an interesting piece of information about how that translates to how they work on the tabletop and maybe this is a this is a bit off topic now from like gaming groups but just that listening to people i guess is the short answer rather than telling like listen don't tell and respond mm -hmm. appropriately yeah and try and make it clear that that's something you're willing to do yeah, it is really difficult to get people to like engage. I mean, it's it's the internet, right? I mean, well, all these communities are online now because we have unfortunately are slaves to this giant electronic brain that we have built. <laughs> but like, uh, and it's difficult because lots of people are physically not present, even if their electronic ghost is. So you know, there might just, every every community has got dozens of people who are lurking, and maybe they just don't understand what's being talked about. But like. It is difficult. It is difficult to engage people, but um, if yeah. people seem interested at all, I think it is behooves us all yeah. to engage them back. Yeah. The last bit I'd say on that maybe is that the other really good thing that you can do for like from inside the group to make it accessible, if that's something you're concerned about, whether that is like you know from just like the four the group of four people you regularly play Warhammer with up to like I am running a gaming club. And that is to make it clear what your, um, I don't want to say rules, but like what the intent of your club is and what the motives of your club is. So 
you know making that clear not just by writing on your rules like oh we don't tolerate uh hateful behavior but then actually like having people see in action i mean i hope obviously in action that you never have to confront hateful behavior in your gaming club but when you if you do like i've had situations in groups before where i've told someone to stop being like a horrible person about something and then sort of like subsequently had messages from people that may be quite quiet saying like i appreciate you saying something there so that then like you know you're sending that message and that you know that can be like a pre-stated manifesto of here's what we're trying to provide for you but also like living up to that and living up to the environment that you're trying to create i think makes it way way easier yeah for people to be accessible i think that's good points we have been recording for quite a long time so i'm going to edit the letters down to just one letter and which one sent a letter in it's the one that refers to me by name so (laughs) i'm also i don't know if we get cease and desisted with the lead in this letter came with because it's a other person's podcast thing that we are (laughs) the the freakish spawn of in no way but they wrote it they put the effort in so i'm going to read it out and then just get we can get angry letters from people so that's fine small grist for the mill more grist for the mill indeed hello (laughs) teeny polymer population this week (laughs) you throw me off now (laughs) i like that a lot this week i airbrushed varnished some bookmarks that my daughter had made to sell for charity it got me thinking i have in the past used my molding remover or my mold line remover uh, on the handle of a plastic dog ball thrower and my hobby knife often proves useful what hobby tools very vague have been most <laughs> what hobby tools are the most used to you outside of the hobby or either for the intended purpose or for something else and then i oh i can't read this word because it's too fancy i don't know it. Corollary. Corollary. corollary corollary question are there any non-hobby things that you regularly use for hobby if drew is on for one example his pasta maker thanks for podding john aka wambagger and badger Ah, oh, I always call him Wambagger. No, no, his name is wrong. It's it's Wambadget. Ah, yeah. Fuck. Fuck, fuck, We're leaving fuck. this in. We're leaving this in. Yes, amazing. Uh, Wambadget so, or Wambagger? Either one. You're not him. No, no, matter. it's one of them. It's one of them. It's not either the, one. The is the it listeners though, don't know. They do. They no. I could call John. him anything I like. <laughs> I think his name is John. <laughs> His name is John. So, um, go on, Andrew. You were mentioned by name, so tell us about your pasta maker, or indeed other other things that fit the description. I mean, technically, it's not my pasta maker. So I bought it purely for hobby. Uh, pasta maker is brilliant, though, if you're doing a lot of sculpting. Uh, if you want lots of flat sheets, yeah, get a pasta maker. So smart. It's genius. Can you use it to mix them to start with as well? It feels you like you can do, but I mostly use it for. Uh not magic sculpt i can't remember the other word i use it for oven baked clays when i'm doing really right, big sculpts. Right. but yeah if you're doing armor plates on orc vehicles that i mentioned earlier it's great for that too you, you could use it for mixing them but it's not as good i just prefer to mix by hand yeah i use i'm i there's massive overlap in my life between hobby stuff and real life stuff i mean to the point that it, why is there any difference it's just tools but then i'm like a <laughs> loathsome engineering goblin <laughs> So I'm just going to bang through all the stuff that I use hobby for because it's useful and then you two can have a normal person conversation about it. So uh, freezer, great for storing green stuff in. If you make up too much green uh-huh. stuff and you want to keep it, put it in the freezer. It'll keep it for a day or two, maybe longer. Depends how cold your freezer is. 
Uh, yeah, pasta maker's very good. Uh, then going the other way, talking about fridges and freezers, my fridge has a smashed up hinge. It's a very old fridge and it's died, uh, so I've rebuilt it with Milliput. Ooh, Milliput's good. Very good material for rebuilding things. Um, yeah, and then just like, you know, I, I was going to say lathes, but most people don't have a lathe. I mean, mine's in oh, pieces yeah. anyway at the moment. Oh, yeah, so. my hobby <laughs> lathe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've actually got a hobby lathe. It's not very good. It's a very cheap Chinese one. But my big lathe, I would use for hobby. My little lathe, I use for turning gun barrels and things oh. occasionally. Oh, yeah, of course. Sorry, I forgot that some people have two lathes. <laughs> <laughs> Mine was like 10 quid. It's crap. It's just a drill motor on a frame. But, you know, sure. if, if you want to turn stuff, it, it's fine. Um, light bulbs, really good for curing milliput quickly. If you get a lamp, oh, you can heat like cure it. Like an incandescent bulb. Can yeah, you still buy those. Yes, yeah. I got my because I wanted to do more. I've got a paint tin with uh, a lizard reptile light on it. Ah, of course. And yeah. the reason it's reptile light is because it's got uh, ceramic fittings rather than plastic fittings. You put a reptile warming light bulb in there, put it on top of the paint tin, and you can speed cure. Um, yeah, Smart. Re- uh, polymer clays and stuff, and you can also melt resin models. So don't use them in it. <laughs> Voice of experience. Yeah, I think that's probably it. I mean, just like automotive bodge, that's good for basing. Oh, Is that yeah. the like mesh sheet stuff? Or no, the, it's the, putty? the filler, the putty filler. Yeah. So, yeah, everything. Just use everything in your life and hobby and every hobby thing in your life. That's my advice. Become an yes. engineer and question your design and life choices forever. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's kind of me as well. But I'm a more theoretical engineer, so <laughs> I don't have a lay. How about you, Anderson? I could. I'd love a lathe, but they're not very practical in a second floor flat. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, similarly, I think that my mm, I've mostly used hobby tools for small parcel jobs. Just, I mean, I cannot think of any particularly right now. I've definitely fabricated small fixed things out of like sprue. Sprues are good because you always got them. So if you need to like any, make anything to a particular size, you can just whittle down a piece of sprue or Ooh, chop yeah. off a little chunk, which is particularly good. Nice. I like it. Yeah, I think that like definitely like I've, I've, my tool collection has definitely grown from hobby tools and then it's like slowly grown out to other things, um, many of which still get used to a hobby like jigsaws and drills, um, things like that. And I can't think of any particularly like amazing uh, examples uh, right now. But one thing that I use elsewhere in hobby um, is pill packets. So tablet-like trays, like, like the foil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That they come in. Yeah. So like the they usually like a what like a plastic bit with a with the foil coating, and when yeah. you've taken all the pills, then they, you just have like a little plastic thing with little wells in it and i use those for mixing um like shades if i need a particular shade or if i want to water down a shade um incredible if i want to this yeah it's really useful if you want to make like a very small watery mix of things like i i do it all the time if i'm making like shades or um if i'm making rust effects i usually water down paints or add some pigment to paints and obviously then you don't want it to go everywhere so you can't put it on a palette but the little wells are pretty good so person that takes a pill every day i've just been throwing away hobby supply this is just reminded me i haven't taken my pills today so oh thank you yeah, yeah. do that do that <laughs> but yeah no this is this very useful this source of tiny pallets 
yeah i hadn't thought of that at all genius did you like <laughs> just come up with that or did you steal that from the internet i can't remember to be honest i just i do and i mean well, with shades it's fine you can reuse them for a while but eventually using it with like gunky like bits you throw them away a little a little dip but yeah you don't mind like cutting that one off and throwing it away because it was literally free yeah well i mean like if you take like headache tablets or something they're usually quite big pills as well so then you actually yeah. quite a lot of volume to work with or i don't know genius Gen- i mean even if you are are blessed with health enough to know not need any medication at all i your parents probably do so <laughs> <laughs> they're easy to come by if you desperately need something yeah absolutely awesome i genuinely like that's actually i'm gonna go and rummage for pill packets i threw in a recycling the other day <laughs> <laughs> amazing excellent oh and if you have nothing to suggest then uh, rich i think most of it has been covered already i'm finding what what hobby tool has been most useful to you outside of the hobby i'm finding it really hard to answer i think probably my lamp which is not really a hobby tool it's a lamp mm. daylight daylight company lamp though is very nice for just like casting a big beam of light somewhere for example when you drop something on the floor but when i drop something on the floor it's normally a bit off a sprue so that's still kind of a hobby use just say you're, you're airbrush for airbrushing a sweet wizard on the side of your car <laughs> well <laughs> it's never too late <laughs> going the other way non-hobby things i regularly use for hobby dubious answer is i don't use like a hobby knife i use a swan morton scalpel handle i just buy non-sterilized blades for it same yeah yeah, but I think that's that's universal enough that it's not surprising. Other than that, I would say I'm just I've got my tool tray in front of me, which is why I'm like holding up props. Great radio again. Uh, Q-tips or cotton buds, as we call them in the UK more usually, I guess. Um, great for anything everything. where you're using. Well, everything. Yeah, especially where you're using like pigments or oils or something else that you've got a bit of time to move around. So like on. My Tomekeeper of Space Marines, I do like a all-over oil wash, but then pull it off the high recesses. And although it's not great for the environment, although I've started buying biodegradable ones, which are better, um, you can like, they're really good for like targeted pulling wash out of places. And the ones I've got at the moment, which I think I got from Flying Tiger, which is like a mini Ikea on the high street. They have like a rounded end, but also like a I mean, I probably can't see that on the camera very well, but like quite a pointy end. So for like getting in tiny details and stuff really really good i've found the opposites true actually that you could no longer buy plastic cotton buds uh, you know rod ones and it's really annoying because i used to use the sticks for railings Uh, that is annoying maybe you can't anymore then yeah these are these like wooden they're like a toothpick with like gauze wrapped around the end i guess she used to have to get them with a bit of texture on, so they made a really good railing bar, um, and now they, ah. they don't. Mm. Alas, so you'd, I'd alas. use the Q-tip, and then I'd snip the ends off and save the tiny bit of plastic to make railings out of. Drew out there on eBay, buying up someone's <laughs> like vintage illegal Q-tips. <laughs> you can even use them to like stipple paint, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Like, If you want to get texture on a surface for like a sort of yeah. industrial-style paint job. Yeah, it, it it is less. It is fast. Well, often you have fucked up brushes to use anyway, but it it is better than messing up a new brush. Better than fucking up a brush for the purpose. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Okay. Oh, yeah. waffle on anymore? I think that's okay. uh, that's probably a good spread of stuff. Thanks for the yep. question, John. 
Yeah. Whatever your yeah. your your name really is. That's we love challenge. questions. Yeah, send us more questions. I mean, we'll maybe answer the other ones we had next pod, but we won't. Um, Someone will. Uh, well, yeah, probably won't be us, I guess. Excellent. Okay. Well, on that note, let's uh, yeah bring this discussion to an end. I hope you've realised that you've been listening to the Timing Plastic People podcast. If you're interested in more of our podcasts, you can find us at timingplasticpeople.com. If you didn't know you were listening to the Timing Plastic People podcast, congratulations for getting this far. And really i suppose all it goes to say is uh well thank you to everyone for joining me thank you to all the listeners for joining me and for the uh for rich and alistair do you have anything you want to plug or uh any place that people can find you on the internet apart from here i will plug no i don't have anything to plug um you can find me on twitter at rich nutter i will post models there yeah i simply am on uh instagram at painting armory excellent and How about you, Drew? Are you hiding online, or are you? I'm yeah, incognito. I mean, no, no, I'm. I, I have an Instagram. It's Drew underscore Paints. I'm going to plug careers in engineering. Always need they let more you have people of opinions. STEM. Yeah, let you have very weird and warped opinions, very weird worldview because you live in a strange ecosystem. I'd just like to maybe disclaimer at the end of the podcast that I also am an engineer and. <laughs> I feel like I have the same worldview as you, Drew. So maybe it's not just the engineering's fault. It's hashtag not all engineers. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah, this is our new. We're launching our new initiative. Oh, we needed a pod title anyway, so there we go. I mean, I was just going to uh, say, we have like a five-minute skit where we just say incredibly offensive things that we can then use as the pod title to follow a recent theme, so... <laughs> I, yeah, there's just no beating. The worst thing was with the last pod title is that uh, I was talking to people at this club last night and they were like, I was like, oh, I do a podcast. They're like, cool, what's the link for it? And I was like, oh no, I've just remembered. the last pod. <laughs> and then I think there's a three and two with a slightly questionable title as well. That was, yeah, uh, that's all right. Just before oh, it, so. We'll, we'll just call this one, no, Cum Gutters. Cum Gutters. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, if you want to talk to us about cum gutters, <laughs> you can. Email... <laughs> oh yes, you it's can email us evolved. at the tiny plastic people at gmail dot com. Email us about that. <laughs> email, <laughs> email whatever you want. Thank you for listening. And on this, after a lot of serious <laughs> topics, I feel we're about to suddenly diverge to a very silly place. So thank you for listening, everyone, and. Good night. Cheerio. Bye. Good night.